the number one thing is really having the interest and pointing yourself in the direction of that interest. Read about it. Listen to podcasts about it. If there's a particular plant you're interested in, go get one implanted. Spend time with it. Hello and welcome to Fuck Yeah, the podcast where we say fuck yeah to pleasure herbalism. I'm here with my effervescent co-host, Sarah. How are you, Sarah? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. How were your holidays? They were were pretty good. I realize I don't have the lightheartedness around the holidays that I once did. So I always like brace for them a little bit, but I am happy that the new year is underway and that we are, you know, heading into 2023. 2022 was rough. Yeah. I just feel like all the reflection that I've done on the last year, you know, I mean, you like when you expand it out to like a global level, realizing mm-hmm. that Roe v. Wade yeah. went away this year, what we've got going on in Iran, what's going on in Ukraine. And I, it's, um, I am thankful uh, to have the holidays stress me out, right? Like right. <laughs> when right. you put it all in perspective. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. I felt like these holidays just kind of washed over me. There's so much going on personally and globally that it just, they happened. Um, and I'm, I'm ready for the new year. You know, I, I'm yeah. ready for hopefully something that's going to be a little more, progress, growth oriented, just there was a lot of murk to wade through this last year. And, um, but it's been a big growth year for me this past year. And a big part of it's been this podcast, all these conversations we've been having have really opened my mind to a lot of things. And I feel like a better person because of it. But it's also, it's hard to grow. It's, it's hard. So, yeah, I know there's like all these representations of personal growth and particularly with social media where it's glossy and, you know, your hair shines through it. (laughs) Right, right. And it's not it's not how it actually feels to go through the growth spurt. I mean, even just think about like our bodies when they are growing, like growth spurts are painful, like physically painful. And I think that the same is true when you're kind of dealing with getting into clearing the blocks that you feel like are holding you back. It's it's not easy work. And I think um, I'm really proud of you for doing the work. And I think you're really well positioned for this coming year to start, you know, maybe it's going to ease a little bit. That is my hope for you. Thank you. Thank you. And I I really appreciate all the structure you've provided for me. (laughs) Even just these like conversations like, hey, it's that time of the week again. Let's have a deep conversation about a very interesting subject. And I'm like, okay, let's do it. Thank you, Sarah. Well, you can thank my Virgo rising. (laughs) Yes. Yes. We all appreciate your Virgo rising Um, and your flowy Pisces as well. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so speaking of, do you have any fuck yeahs this week in the new year? I do. I I actually really put some thought into this one because I was feeling a little low. And so I was like, huh, I think it's my turn to give a fuck. Yeah, I should really reflect on this. And what came out of that was so fantastic. So talk about, you know, like things that are amazing about this podcast. Um, So each year I do kind of a different style of resolution setting. Mm -hmm. And um, I I used to be really into the demarcation of the year as like, I'm going to set goals. And, you know, I mean, I can be really caught up in that kind of thinking and cycle. And I think over the last few years, I've really started to shed um, some of that like do it attitude mm-hmm. and trying to get a little bit more into my body and my intuition around things. And actually it was in 2019 that I discovered the desire map. It's a oh. really fantastic book and um, I'll link it in the show notes because of course the author's name is escaping me in this very moment. But she got inspired to write this book actually through New Year's resolutions because she's like, I'm always putting like these things on my list of I want to do this. I want to go there. I want to buy this. I want to have this. I want to, you know, reach this goal and realizing that it was kind of shaping the kind of character of her life. Hmm. And so one New Year's, she decided instead to think about how she wanted to feel. And the process of the book is so fantastic. So I did it when I was thinking about leaving the pleasure chest and I went through the book from start to finish. I've done it from start to finish twice now. I don't necessarily do the book at the start of the year, although I think that that could be a great process to for folks to do. But I sort of do it at like big moments. But so today I was trying to tap into what kind of energy I do want to call in in this new year because I didn't do any sort of resolution work um, yet. Long story short, what is giving me a fuck yeah is coming to the place of realizing that I would like to develop a relationship with nurture. Ooh. And I don't think that I have ever really had a very meaningful relationship with this word or this concept. Hmm. And I know that that might sound a little strange because I think that perhaps I have some loved ones who would describe me as being nurturing. Yeah. And thinking that like caretaking or caregiving comes naturally to me. And in fact, it doesn't Hmm. necessarily. And I think that a lot of that has to do with lineage in my family is really strongly like feminine. There's like a lot of Um, women in my line who have been kind of the more dominant figures in my family. And they've all faced a lot of hardship and in some ways had 
caregiving roles kind of forced on them. Right. And I think that I perform caregiving really well. And I think that it is my nature to be caring. But I don't think I'm very nurturing to myself. And whenever there is stuff that just really rubs me the wrong way about my relationship with Ruby, or if there's ever kind of a sticky point in my relationship with Andrea or any really, really relationship that I've had, I think it's, I don't have a very strong, deep connection with nurture. And I would like to, to build that for myself. That's interesting that you say that I, I would consider you nurturing because of your relationship with plants. Mm. Like you are a very plant connected person. Mm -hmm. You have a green thumb and an understanding with plants. So I always, when you said nurture originally, that's the first thing that popped into my mind. And isn't that all about providing the right environment Mm -hmm. and nutrients Mm-hmm. for something to grow. And my life is much more harmonious when I am actively engaging with my garden and with plants. And in recent years, that hasn't been as accessible to me. Yeah. So yeah, that is really interesting and a perfect segue <laughs> into our topic today. <laughs> yeah. Before we get into our our subject, I would say maybe to just think about nurturing and the nurturing that you do less in that performative way that you've seen your matriarchs and your family do, and maybe more in the way of just providing the space and the elements needed for growth to happen for yourself for Ruby, for your relationship with Andrea, whatever it is that for your career, whatever you feel like needs to grow, it probably is about nutrients, space, whatever the earth provides, the sun, you know, the and whatever the people relationship elements are needed in order for things to naturally flourish. Yeah, I like that. I mean, and I also just think that I still have some unpacking to do around this kind of get it done attitude. Right. And like um, push through and certainly like my life before the pandemic, but really like through the pandemic took on a quality of like, you know, there's a lot that I was holding tightly. Yeah. And I, I feel like this is the year for me to hold things a little bit more softly yeah, and to really give the time and the space to my loved ones, to myself, rather than this kind of attitude of just barreling through, yeah. which I think for anybody who experiences that, it's often just out of necessity. Yeah. And it is a luxury. Like when I think of the word nurture, it feels like such a luxury and it's like warm honey going down Mm -hmm. my throat or something. Mm -hmm. And I just really want to cultivate that and that it getting to a place where I feel like I can do that is really lovely. Yeah. So... That is giving me a fuck yeah. I want that for you. Thank you. 
And it does lead right into <laughs> our topic today. I know we have Lisanne Delise, who is one of our oldest um, and certainly one of my dearest friends. She is a miracle whip. <laughs> <laughs> she is a badass femme. And she, in addition to being a very talented creative director, she is an herbalist. Yes. And so we are having her on the podcast to talk about herbal medicine, pleasure herbalism, and she's just really such a thoughtful, intelligent human. And I'm really excited to be in conversation with her in this forum. Yeah, this is going to be great. I, I have so much to learn and from such a magical person. So let's get into it. Let's do it. Lisanne, welcome to the Fuck Yeah podcast. Yay, thank you so much. I don't know if you listened to our listener Q&A episode, but we had a question about when we were going to have the Miracle Whips on the podcast. And it appears that little by little, we're going to have each of you individually. And then eventually, hopefully, we're going to figure out a way to record with a gaggle of fems and have the entire Miracle Whips as an entity on the pod. I would love that. That would be so magical. Yeah, sign me up. <laughs> that would be amazing. So I think you know our process. We're going to take you through some rapid fire questions to warm you up before we get into the meat of our conversation. Okay. Okay. What's the last picture on your phone? Oh, really great question. Actually, the last picture of my on my phone is a picture of my dining room with our mattress from the bedroom on the floor, which is what we did on the Wednesday night because the winds were like 70 miles an hour here or something. And we wow. we had um, a good friend in Oakland had a tree come down in their backyard. And after I heard that that happened to them, I was like, you know, actually it was more Sherry, <laughs> but we were both a little bit like, cannot hurt to put the mattress in a place where the one tree that's close enough to the house that could fall on it, you know. If we move the mattress into the dining room, there are no trees that could fall on us while we sleep. And our tree was totally fine and our house did not get crushed. And then we moved our mattress back into our bedroom where it belongs. Yeah. What's the last podcast you um, listened to? I think it was Sarah Goddess Dina's Moonbeaming. Mm, she is, uh, she's an LA queer and astrologer and tarot reader and artist and she has a podcast called Moonbeaming and she's the person who does the many moons moon planner that a lot of your friends use Robin <laughs> including myself <laughs> um yeah no she's pretty rad she's pretty rad um so I think yeah the last podcast was probably hers amazing who was your first celebrity crush this is so easy. Luke Skywalker. <laughs> Say more about that. When I was in second grade, I was so in love with Luke Skywalker and I would like write his name on my textbooks. It's cool. What was um, it about him? I just thought he was so beautiful. And if you think about it, I feel like I've ended up with a lot of like um, lesbians that kind of look like him later in life. Um, he was a little bit dykish if you think about it. Um Yeah. But yeah, I just thought he was like the most beautiful thing that walked the earth. Did the fantasy element play was. into it at all? Or was it really just his beauty? I mean, 
you know, I can't really say that the fantasy element didn't have something to do with it, but I was like six or seven. So I wasn't like, you know, highly analyzing the situation. I was just like crushed the hell out. And it wasn't the actor. It was, it was the character. <laughs> it was, you know, because I didn't even know the name of the actor that there was like a real person behind there. You know, it was just like, oh my God, Luke Skywalker is so hot. I love it. <laughs> what was your first mode of masturbation? Pretty boring. I want to say good old fashioned fingers is how I discovered it. Um, probably at like five or six. Um, but when I was seven, we moved to a house that had a tub and a handheld. So I quickly added <laughs> method, uh, the, you know, handheld shower head. Added water yeah, into the pretty, mix. pretty early on. <laughs> so it was basically between the shower head and my hands. Good for you. Pretty, pretty simple. No doll heads or anything. <laughs> right, Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> We've been talking a lot on the podcast about our authentic selves, embodiment, finding our path being led by our passions. And I'm really interested in how you were a successful creative director and graphic designer, and then seemingly took this kind of left turn towards training and becoming a clinical herbalist, uprooting and moving to another city to do this sort of work. And I'm just really interested in how did you go along into that path? What led you into it? You know, I think that I had an experience similar to what I hear a lot, of, a lot of other plant people say that they've had. It just felt like the plants came calling, mm. honestly. Of course, there was some, uh, you know, will and interest that I had. And that started because um, I had always been a foodie when I lived in New York City and was an art director for a food website. You know, I was a foodie in kind of a New York way, which was restaurants and, you know, editorial. And then I moved to L.A., in 2001 and my interest in food turned a little more west coast which was you know more about cooking than myself and figuring out what is what it actually is like a healthful way to eat and like what kind of relationship do we have to our food where is it grown where does it come from you know are we getting like good good energy from this kind of situation and I became more and more interested also in possibly growing my own food but I never had the space when I moved into the second compound uh, with Kristen and Madeline and La Mirada Avenue, mm-hmm. we I finally had space to garden, and that was one of the most uh, exciting things about that place to me. It's like we're gonna we made a, a raised bed in the front, and we made a garden bed along the side, and we all together started growing some vegetables and herbs. When I'm interested in something, I like to read about it. Like reading is one of the ways in which I learn. And so I started reading about how to grow your own food. This is back in 2009 or 2010, I think. When you start learning about how to grow food, I started learning also about the medicine of plants and the medicine of the food and the Mm -hmm. kinds of things that all all the depth of of wisdom and knowledge that's around there. And once I started learning about that, that's where it felt like the plants were like, come with us, there's a way. And I just followed you know, I just went down the rabbit hole. I started taking classes on my own. I started buying books and reading. I started, you know, doing some like weekend things. And in fact, it was a, a weekend herbalism camping trip to the Anza Borrego Desert in 2012, I believe, that 
was absolutely life changing. And there were, you know, a, a bunch of like maybe 20 herbalists and plant people involved in this camping trip. And it was so amazing to be in community with plant people in person with the plants that when I came out of that weekend trip, I was like, I have to go to herbalism school. It was just a whole new world that opened up, you know, itself in front of my feet. And I just stepped in. I love that. Just how, you know, you don't know what, where the journey is going to take you, but being open and willing to go on that is really interesting. Was there a particular herbal medicine that really opened you up to it or it just slowly kind of bloomed, so to speak? <laughs> That's pretty. I would say it definitely slowly bloomed. Um, yeah. It was a process of education. You know, I mean, I can think about like one of the first herbs that I fell in love with and, and why um, but that didn't happen until later in my studies. What um, is the first it, herb you fell in love with? Uh, Skullcap, which is a beautiful nervine that nourishes the nervous system and oh. smooths out frazzled energy. And it's um, it's a it's a huge favorite in the herbalism world. It's you know gentle and loving and really nourishing. When you went to school, you were trained in a pretty traditional approach to herbal medicine. And I'm wondering if you can share a little bit with us about the differences in that philosophy versus how a lot of us think of like health and wellness from like the, uh, like how it differs from the Western approach. Well, my first schooling and training in herbalism was at a, a school in Berkeley that is a little bit more, more Western herbalism focused. So I had a basis in that as well. I did a first year there. It There was something that was a little bit off mm. about it. You know, low-key cultural appropriation, and mm -hmm. maybe low-key to high-key cultural appropriation <laughs> in some settings, you know, not not always. But it was, it was definitely a thing. Very, very white and straight, mm -hmm. like tends to happen. But it was, you know, it was, it was great getting that kind of foundation. And then eventually the place where I trained more fully is a school that is not really around anymore in the incarnation that I attended it in, but it's called the Blue Water School of Verbal Medicine. Um, and I definitely want to honor my teachers, Sarah Holmes and Karen Sanders of the school. They have a different approach in the sense that I would say we studied a lot of the same things that you study in Western herbalism, which, you know, pathophysiology, anatomy, botany, that kind of thing. But there was also a lot more than that. And um, the part that was a lot more than that comes mostly from Karen Sanders, who is a Choctaw medicine woman elder. Um, and I would say that one of the, there's a few differences, but one of the biggest ones is that there is such a focus on what's you know, at its heart, it's an indigenous worldview, which is really knowing our place within the cosmos. Mm, right. Um, and knowing that we are not here to take plants, mm -hmm. that plants are not here to give to us, um, but rather that the role and responsibility that humans carry in this incarnation on earth is to care for plants, that they were here way before we were. Mm -hmm. And now we have an opportunity to be in relationship with them in a way that we give. Yeah. Um, 
hopefully more than we take. There is just a, a very big focus on heart presence. There is a big focus on reciprocity and right relationships. To give you an example, in my more Western herbalism settings, you might go on a well-crafting hike and they tell you like, oh, ask permission of the plant. Does anybody ever hear a no? Not really. (laughs) You know, you kind of like, you know, and it's great. Like you want to have that kind of awareness. You want to have that kind of presence. But also, you know, you bring a bunch of white kids out to the whatever park and you gather some medicine and you make it there. And in the more indigenous and blue water way that I was trained, that is such a huge Mm -hmm. no-no. In order to wildcraft, you have to have developed a relationship with the place that you want to Mm. take from. You have to have given to that place for years before you feel ready to take from it. Um, You know, another thing that we can't forget is that if we're anywhere in the United States, unless we're Native American, we are on stolen land. The land you're taking these plants from is not yours. And maybe you think this is like this really gorgeous stand of Angelica, which for all you know, some indigenous people of the area have been tending for 20 years and you think it's right. just, Oh, it's doing so great because you know, there it is naturally. I'm going to take a bunch or even I'm going to take the 10% that some people say is okay. Right. Um, so, you know, this is a really big difference in terms of, of how we relate to the rest of the non-human world. It's such an echo of all of the white supremacy, like colonialist points of view. This specific government was founded on of just, oh, we discovered this place, we're taking and we're taking Mm -hmm. and the animals and the plants and in fact, the entire earth is here for us to utilize. Mm -hmm. And it's just such a driving force behind the destruction of the whole planet right now. Absolutely true. I I love hearing about this, this clearly much better way of interacting with the earth and being respectful and, and cultivating. It's like beyond not taking too much. It's, it's cultivating and giving. That's really beautiful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it's absolutely true. It is absolutely tied into all of the colonialist um, approaches and patriarchal ways of approaching the universe. You know, and I think that, that, you know, keeping those things in mind is absolutely paramount in the herbalism world because there's so many ways in which even as people in healthcare or healers, whatever you want to call it, we can really easily slide down into the same kind of binary thinking. Something you see in a lot of uh, Western herbalism is holier than thou, white spirituality. You just need to raise your vibration and all of Mm. your illnesses will be gone, which is incredibly ableist. You know, like there's just, yeah, it's a big, big ball of yarn. Yeah. And the idea of healing yourself by taking. Mm -mm. Exactly. Or really destroying another living thing and just using it. I, I love that idea of of using healing as a way that you're also cultivating and, and continuing and caretaking. Being in reciprocity and balance. Yeah, well, and this idea of like being in relationship mm-hmm. because, you know, from there, the the reciprocity is kind of built in. You know, as someone who has a kid who uh, we spend like a lot of time outside and certainly a thing I have told Ruby is like, do not take from the plant unless the plant says yes. And the plants tell Ruby no all the time. 
which I love. Like she's, yeah, she's very discerning about it. But I really like this idea of introducing an idea of having relationship beyond, you know, like we have a small garden that we tend at home and I'm, and there are places in the wild that we go to a lot. I'm wondering if you have any thoughts for kids of like how we can get them thinking along these lines of giving back to those places. Like I would never want to go to our hike and necessarily plant wildflowers. I don't know if that's like an appropriate thing to do. Right. So what would be things, you know, to start replacing the just general appreciation of the plants and, and gathering, like we'll gather from the ground sometimes, but like what could be things that she and I could be doing that are actually giving back to that land that we just get to enjoy by, you know, hiking and walking it. Yeah. I mean, I think that one of the things that would be, is, is really basic, but really powerful is just telling her about, is it really history? I don't know, but it's history. The fact that, Hey, these plants were here before us. These plants have a mm-hmm. lot of intelligence. There were people that lived in this land before we did that were in relationship with them and talked to them and, they had a balanced relationship and we want to be like that. We don't want to take too much. We want to learn from them and basically just like let them know they're our friends. We can be with them and there are ways of being with them that are not about taking them necessarily mm-hmm. or be utilizing mm-hmm. them. Right. Um, and that could be as simple as, you know, you pass certain trees every time you go on a particular hike, make sure you stop and say hi to that tree. Maybe like as a, you know, symbolic little gesture, um, drop a little bit of your water bottle at its base mm-hmm. to be like, I'm going to mm-hmm. give you a little water because I love you. And just kind of cultivating that awareness, that, you that. know, this plant is, is a being and it's alive and it has energy and it has a consciousness and, we can appreciate it for what it is. And even if we can't talk to it in the same way that we might talk to, you know, a human, we can still have an exchange and we can still give honor and give awareness. Mm-hmm. And yeah. yeah, even if it's simply with, with our love or our energy or, you know, trying to, I'm just going to give you a breath. I'm going to like breathe in the oxygen that you just put out and I want to breathe out some carbon dioxide that you can have. Thank you. Going on a more hike, you know, just like little, little moments. Mm, yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, I love that. And so, and that's making me wonder how you're cultivating this relationship in your daily life. Like, um, how do you incorporate herbs and herbal medicine into your daily practices? Um, I would say that I do that in kind of a few different currents. For sure, I use herbs therapeutically. I'm somebody who has some couple of chronic lung conditions. Like I have a lung blend tea that I drink almost every day. So that is, you know, a little bit more of a straightforward, this is good for me. This is a, a, you know, an herbal medicine that is helping me not have issues. I do it with a couple other tinctures as well for, you know, things that I know are are, um, weak points in my body, like some circulation issues. So I might take, you know, herbs for that. Another way in which I work with them, and it's not happening every single day because it tends to happen in waves, depending on what I'm going through emotionally and psychologically in life. But I will also go through chunks of time where I'm working with one particular herb in very, very small drop doses, which we sometimes call Mm -hmm. spirit doses. So like one, two, no more than three drops at a time. Um, And just kind of meditating with that or taking it before I do yoga or taking, taking it before a walk and using those plants in a way that 
I'm asking them for help spiritually, basically. I'm asking them for help emotionally right. and, you know, certain plants have certain energies that, that go different places and hit different kinds of energies in our bodies. Right now, for example, I'm working with comfrey flower essence. And so I'll take it, you know, before my morning meditation and before my morning yoga. And sometimes I'll take it before I go into the bathtub. And, and, I, and I think about it. I, I visualize the plant. I ask for messages. Sometimes some come, sometimes nothing comes. But the, that kind of consistent spirit dose way of working with plants is, um, I think, can be really powerful. And then there's also the actually interacting with life plants, which I wish that I were doing more of. Um, I don't have an actual garden where I live right now. We're just starting to landscape, but I do live in the trees. So I have gigantic pines, gigantic oaks, gigantic cedars all around me. I was living here for about a year and a half before I just found out that there is a full-grown, very happy hawthorn tree at the edge of my property. Um, it wasn't accessible before because there, there's now a driveway to the new neighbors in the back. And with the addition of this driveway that I can walk down, I realized, oh, my God, there's this huge, gorgeous hawthorn tree, which is powerful, powerful medicine. I, again, don't do it as often as I'd like, but every now and then I'm going to walk down that driveway and be like, hey, hawthorn, how are you doing? And just be with the plants and just say hello and just be their friend in a way, you know, kind of just have a little bit of a relationship. Sometimes you are just an acquaintance and I'm going to see you here and there. And sometimes it's somebody that you're like dating and you want to give a lot of love to, and you want to get a lot of love back and you want to visit them very, very often. So plants can be like that. I can really feel now as we gotten deeper into this conversation, how it wasn't just a shift in career that you made. This is a, a lifestyle. This is like a way of interacting in the world and, and very deep and spiritual in a lot of ways. Absolutely. Yeah, I would say that that's very true. And it also, um, ultimately, it wasn't just a change in career because my career as a creative director and designer is, is still where I make my money. Um, I've never let that go. I definitely stepped back um, when I was doing my studies and doing a lot more intensive herbalism studies, but it's always been how I'm able to pay my rent. And I think that you're absolutely right. For me, it, was, it wasn't a changing career. It was opening up a whole entire world and a whole entire inner world that I had no idea existed before these kinds of teaching. Mm. You're making me think of so many other ways to be in relationships with plants of all kinds that can be really pleasurable. Tell me some of it. Like what? I mean, I guess I just think of like time in nature for me is always such nourishing. Like if I if I can be outdoors every single day, I feel much more nourished. But when I think about like if I could just stop and hug the tree that I see on my hike every week, like how much more pleasurable that experience would be because I would start noticing the seasons, you know, kind of how that tree lives and breathes aside from the broad strokes. It's like when you're viewing art, you can take a piece of art in, like if you stand back from it, you see it and experience it in a different way than if you get really close to it and look at the fine details. And so I think of this as just, I just start shifting my focus to notice the plants. It's not about necessarily even having to bring them into my space. It's about just like sharing that moment with them. And that suddenly the lessons from that plant, like how it changes throughout the year will have messages for me. And that seems like 
why am I not doing that? <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a, you know, new so, year, new habit. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's um, so, you know, that, that's kind of one of the things that came to my mind as you were talking, but I know that um, there's so many different ways that plants can enhance pleasure or just even help someone perceive pleasure in their body. And I'm wondering, you know, what your thoughts or what your recommendations would be for someone who's drawn to working with plants and also really invested in their pleasure practice. Yeah, I think that, you know, the number one thing is really having the interest and pointing yourself in the direction of that interest. Read about it, listen to podcasts about it. If there's a particular plant you're interested in, go get one implanted, spend time with it. Um, it's a matter really of like anything, practice in a way, you know, just like doing it consistently and following where you feel drawn to. I think that in particular, the pleasure bit is, it can be fraught, you know, because we, mm. especially in the past, you know, two, three years, I think that we have collectively been in a space of like a lot of not pleasure. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that there's, there's always barriers to allowing that kind of thing just blossom in us. And we've had even more and more of them. I also feel we are on the Fuck Yeah podcast after all. And a lot of things <laughs> that we talk about here have to do with sexuality, mm-hmm. um, which is, you know, always very fun to talk about. And I feel like plants can really help us also kind of attune ourselves to more sexual pleasure. And the way that that can happen is probably a little more complex than what somebody might think about just off the bat. You know, it's not just like, oh, let's take some horny goat weed and we're horny. Right. Um, but there's a lot more complex barriers because one of the things that I hear about and have seen through clients when I had a clinical practice and, you know, friends and anecdotes from um, other people is that people are just fucking tense. People yeah. are fucking anxious. People are <laughs> fucking stressed. You know, we always are and more so than others. And one way that that can get in the way of sexual pleasure, especially is people really hold their anxiety and their tension in their body, yeah. literally in their muscles, um, TMJ or, or, or spasms, whatnot. So I would say that for people who find that body health anxiety, body health tension gets in the way of their sexuality, passion flower mm-hmm. is a really good friend for that. Passion flower is really fantastic for dissolving tension, for smoothing anxiety. It actually has some sedative properties. So, you know, if you're taking an actual uh, Western medication that's a sedative, passion flower on top of that will enhance it. I'm not saying anybody should do that, but it is like a very, very like de stressy, de anxiety, untangling mm. uh, body knots. Um, also, I want to make sure that people know that you shouldn't just go to your lovely neighborhood uh, passion flower vine and pick a flower because (laughs) there are some species that are toxic to humans. Mm. Um, And there are some specific species that are the ones that are used mostly for medicine, but it's a, you know, very gentle and lovely and accessible plant. that's not hard to find. So that's one thing that comes to mind. Another one, which way too many people have an experience with is sexual trauma. Um, Whether it's old or more recent, it can be a huge, huge, huge thing that's going to get in the way of somebody being able to allow sexual pleasure or pleasure at all in their bodies. For that, lemon balm 
hmm. is a go-to for, for a very, very long time. I mean, lemon balm, a lot of these plants have been used, you know, since like ancient times in the old, quote-unquote, old world on the other side, not in the Americas necessarily. Lemonda has a really long history of being used to release sexual trauma and to be able to receive sexual pleasure again. And that happens, you know, whether it's really, really old stuff that happened when you were little or whether it's something that's more recent. Lemon balm can be a really good ally. And do you apply this to a certain area or like tea or how would you go about using that? Yes. Um, <laughs> every, yep. Both. Um, yes, and? Yes, and it could be as simple as you drink a little bit of tea and you ask for help around this area. It could be that you do drop doses of tincture. It could be that you use an essence. It could be that you get yourself a plant and you like take a little leaf and sit with it and meditate with it. It's just a matter of interacting with these plants that we have learned through hundreds, thousands of years of history of like how they can help humans. So again, it's about being in relationship with rather than using and ingesting or or whatever. It's it's more about the cultivating a relationship with these healing plants. I would say yes. And you know, ingesting is, is one of the easiest, most immediate ways that we can be in relationship with a plant, you know, when it's done uh, mindfully and with intention. So I do think that the relationship aspect, the intentional aspect is very important when you're talking about trying to work with a plant in in ways that are going to help emotional, psychological things. I mean, of course, everything's connected. You know, something helps your psyche. It's going to help your body, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but especially when you're trying to engage kind of in a spirit way with the plants, it's really about the relationship. Definitely, it's not about how much you take. And so I have recently stopped using marijuana, my, the, the plant that I had a somewhat toxic relationship with. Mm-hmm. But I really, one of the things I used it for often was as kind of an aphrodisiac. Mm-hmm. Is there something that's kind of, that I could use that wouldn't have such a strong effect, but that could have that kind of body relax, buzz kind of feeling or just kind of more pleasure focused sensations that I could use instead? Yeah, for sure. Um, I know that there's people that use kava that way. Um, one has to be careful with kava because it's also um, can be harsh on the body, can be harsh on the liver, can really drive people out. Um, it's something that you could use judiciously here or there. I don't have a ton of experience with it myself, but I know that it is something that has a very bodily quality to it that's very relaxing. And some people experience that as um, an aphrodisiac. I would say there's also, I mean, good old Damiana. Like Damiana is the queen of aphrodisiacs, and I don't want to like make it sound like a cliche, but she's very well known for this, and there's good reason. So physically, Damiana will increase circulation to the pelvic area. It does mm. relax. It does warm. And it also does that emotionally and psychologically. It helps to get people out of their head and down into their lower bodies. It helps to, like kind of melt away some of that like frazzled energy. It has like a dreamy quality to it that, you know, you take some and you can, you can like look for that in your body. You can find that. So I actually um, brought a little something about Damiana that I wanted to read because I love how these people describe it. And it is from a plant Oracle deck called Dirt Gems. 
written by Anne-Louise Bardet and is illustrated by Chelsea Granger. And one of the things they say about Damiana, this is a gorgeous book, by the way. I love how they write about the plants. One of the things they say about Damiana is Damiana says, slide down into the languid and divine. Invite this friend mm. in and sleep deeply, dream, touch. Restore overactive, depleted, or stuck parts of yourself and invite them to play. Oh, I think I love that. <laughs> yeah, I think that that's such a gorgeous way of characterizing the, the energy of Damiana. So that could be a good one for you. Because the other thing that I think yeah. about is Kava is something that I have known people to get also into a toxic relationship with. Where it was right. like the only thing that could relax them, the only thing that could help them sleep, the only thing, and then you end up with a very unbalanced situation in your body that way. Yeah. Well, no, no, I'm like kind of, you know, have a bit of a crush on Damiana after hearing that. Ah, who doesn't? That sounds... Yeah, she's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I have talked a little bit on the podcast about just how influential my time in the whips was. It hasn't come up in conversation, the femme salons that we hosted and all of the skill sharing that happened in those spaces. Um, but certainly one of the things I think back on um, in our time in the whips together was just how much skill sharing we did with each other. Like what a, like how much you all were my teachers <laughs> and, you know, my sisters, my, my coven mates, all the things. And I, I'm just curious if that time or those things that we were working on together have impacted your approach to working with plants and clinical herbalism and all of the work that you do now. Oh, for sure, for sure. I mean, I, ah, Sarah, good old days. <laughs> I mean, the festivals were fucking amazing. That was so fun. Yeah. Um, I don't know if, if anybody's going to know what they are, but for a few years, the Miracle Whip used to host festivals where friends would come and we would have a theme and we kind of have like games or discussion or some kind of little ritual. I know that we sometimes put things on the wall. I don't even remember what half of them were, but there was a lot of sharing of experiences and a lot of teaching each other about our experiences. It was really brilliant. And I do think that that has been influential in a way in my practice because it was just learning about all the different amazing, wonderful ways of being. And whether that yeah. was somebody's lived experience that was different from mine or whether it was literally something different that I'd never heard of that they did in bed. <laughs> it was, we were just, we were, we were learning from each other. Mm -hmm. We were expanding our minds and expanding our worlds in ways that have definitely stuck with me. And for being an herbalist and a queer herbalist who also works with a lot of queer folks, having that embodied knowledge that mm -hmm. we all have very different lived experiences. We're all into all sorts yeah. of different kinds of things and they are all amazing and valid. And that, that needs to be, you know, queerness and quote unquote, that kind of difference has to be, should be at the core of healthcare. And it mm. so not is mm. in our Western medical, right. mm -hmm. you know, Western medical industrial complex, you know, it is definitely up to us herbalists, especially queer herbalists, trans herbalists, everything to be able to uphold our differences and to not pathologize them and to not, you know, put some fucked up binaries on them, but rather to allow the wonderful 
manifestations of all our bodies with whatever uh, conditions they may or may not have, with whatever medications mm-hmm. from the Western world we may or may not need. Like all of that is wonderful and all of it should be celebrated and upheld in a healthy, balanced way. Mm. Yeah. And it's such a cultivation of wellness, like rather than, you know, medicating symptoms, but cultivating wellness, cultivating community and a group shared knowledge about what it actually means to be in these bodies on this planet. You know, I I think that's really wonderful. There's so much intentionality around the relationships that you're cultivating. Mm -hmm. And approaching people as whole selves. Like I feel like there's this uh, segmentation or compartmentalization that I don't, I don't know that that just shows up in Western medicine. I think that that's just a very, uh, capitalist <laughs> approach to things yeah. of like, you know, sure. like this one part of yourself functions in this way and this one part functions in this way. And actually uh, a whole organism is informed by right. the entire lived experience. We within ourselves are in relation, all parts of ourselves are in conversation and in relationship. I, I got chills a little bit when you were talking, actually. It's so true, Sarah, what you were saying in terms of like Western science is incredibly reductionist, Mm -hmm. you know, and the fact that like you might have two organs that are incredibly close to each other, but your doctor, you know, might not know shit about whatever organ is right on top of this other organ because like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm a GI doctor or I'm a, you know, nephrologist and I only know kidneys Mm -hmm. and nothing else, you know, it's like very, very, very reductionist, which is, I think, a very harmful approach in life all around. And I think it's really funny how when you reference the teachings that I've done, you know, you call them traditional, which in you know in some ways they are. These are very, very old teachings coming from an indigenous medicine person. Um, but they're also, and it's just wild to me, they're actually incredibly radical now. Mm, While they right. are, and then radical, mm-hmm. I guess, in the true sense of the word, they are down to the root. You know, they're really what is like at the root of everything, but they have become also radical almost politically at this point because it's so different than what the capitalist Western scientific model has taught us mm. for a few hundred years. And I am very happy to see more and more herbalists, especially queer trans herbalists, especially BIPOC queer trans herbalists turning towards this supposedly radical way of being in a relationship with medicine, with plant medicine, with, yeah. you know, heart and spirit medicine. That is totally the opposite of that reductionist approach. Mm. I love that. So I have a side question, although I'm sure it's woven into all of these topics that we're talking about, because you do have this cultivated lifestyle. But I heard that you have been hiring sex workers. (laughs) And as a a, um, I'm just so excited and fascinated to know some details about this. Um, But especially as like a femme queer person, it's pretty unusual to do that sort of thing. And so from your perspective, I'm just really fascinated to hear how you came to that and what your relationship is with sex work. (laughs) Um, Well, I would say, first of all, that I hired sex workers one time. Oh, okay. (laughs) Um, (laughs) That's how it goes. How was your one experience? It's like, like, I don't have enough money to keep hiring sex workers for one thing. Um, No, I did. I turned 50 in November Mm -hmm. and I just wanted to do something really special for myself for Mm -hmm. my 50th birthday. And I, I mean, I have always been super intrigued to hire a pro dom. I've always wanted to do that. Not within my budget. 
that shit mm-hmm. is expensive as well it should be i just wish i could afford it but yeah for my 50th birthday i was like budget be damned i wanted a ritualistic kinky sexy situation to ringing my fifth decade or sixth decade or however the numbers work but um mm-hmm. So it was a it was a very special thing I did for myself that I don't think I could afford again anytime in the near future. It was amazing, and it was also two women, two two femmes, um, and I knew of them. They're not friends, but they were acquaintances through kind of healing circles and queer community in when I used to live in Oakland. So I I knew these people, and I knew that they did this work together. And I don't know. I think at some point in the summer of last year, I saw something one of them posted. And I just had this flash. I was like, oh my God, this is what I want for my birthday. I want a session with these hot ass fans. And I want it to be ritualistic and I want it to be like, you know, outfits and I want it to be kinky and I want it to be sexy. And it was all of those things. It was really, really special. It felt like a total portal to bring in the next cycle of my life. Were there any hurdles you had to overcome to make that happen? I mean, obviously, the financial aspect, the resource piece of it is, you know, one that people have to consider. But like, did you have any feelings of shame? Did Were there things that came up in your relationship? Or was it just like, I want this, I'm going to have this without any kind of baggage around it? I don't feel like I had any baggage around it. I, if anything, I, I felt kind of proud of myself. Yeah. I, <laughs> I mean, I feel um, really proud I, of you. <laughs> right? <laughs> Thank you. And this also, I have to, you know, this is a, a feeling that I also want to kind of like watch. But part part of what I felt in terms of feeling proud of myself is that, you know, I think sex workers need to be supported. I think that the criminalization of sex work is incredibly fucked up and, you know, one of the most hypocritical, yeah. you know, things in in the world that we, that we have in the society. I support sex workers. Yeah, great. Support sex workers. But I couldn't ever materially support mm-hmm. a sex worker. And now I'm just like, hey, look at me! I'm supporting this. Hey, that's so good. Pat on the back, right? <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't want to like go too much there. But I definitely, it, it was a, a feeling that arose. It was like, oh yeah, good for me. If I can give him some money, if I can put my money where my mouth is, this one time. <sighs> Once it came into my mind, it, it, it was right. And when I reached out to the fans too, they were so excited. They, they were like so into it. And I think that, you know, they probably, their clients are not usually queer fans, mm-hmm. right? you know, at least the way that they related to me, they, it was also something that they were very into. So I think overall we created a feeling of just like such joy around it, that that's pretty much where, where it was living. Oh, so and amazing. It also, and thankfully it also did not cause any issues in my relationship. My partner was very supportive of me doing this as like a wild 50th birthday ritual blowout. So it was, it was a good experience all around. Were they no, included no, no, as well? No, 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 this was just me. No. Oh, love it. Well, I think yeah, I went know to what we're going to get you for your 60th them. birthday. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah. Maybe a little sooner than that. <laughs> yeah. On their number. <laughs> Well, I'm so glad we got to have a super sexy question in there because, you know, despite what a lot of our very grounded and spiritual conversation has been, you know, Liasan, you are such a sexual hot force, certainly in my life. Mine as well. Thank you. Same to both of you. I'm wondering where uh, you want people to find you if you have anything that is coming up. And uh, also just if there are any 
herbal resources or particular herbalists that you really think that those of us who participate in being in relationship with plants should buy goods from? Somebody that comes to mind right away is uh, a acquaintance of mine named Chardet. She's under Roots of Resistance on Instagram, and her name on Instagram is Chardet Musa, S-A-D-E-M-U-S-A. At Roots of Resistance, she's a black herbalist. She does amazing, amazing education. I also really love one of the products that comes to mind right now. This person has a very, very lovely product line that they have been making. And their name on Instagram, the name of their line is Miss T Botanica, M-S dot T-E-A. And they are a white trans person. They make really, really lovely products. These is, you know, this is you want right. your products from people that have heart and politics, and this person has that. So those are some of the ones that are coming off the top of my head. I also love uh, my friend Nizma. She is a queer Boricua, like I am. Her line is called Flor y Machete on Instagram. F L O R Y M A C H E T E. She makes lovely products. She has, she's been holding some classes, too, that are about kind of Caribbean community uh, coming together and stuff like that. So I really um, admire that kind of stuff that she's doing and want to be part of it. So I think people should support her work for sure. And are you still working on Eye of Crow? Eye of Crow is on a little bit of a, at least a product-making hiatus. I'm not currently making products. I am seeing a few clients. I do have an Instagram that's Eye of Crow Herbs. I also have a website for my herbalism, which is energeticherbalism.com. So if anybody's interested in one-on-one herbalism sessions, I am available for that. If anybody's interested in my design and creative direction services, I also have a website for that, which is just my name, lisandelise.com. Amazing. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you for spending this time with us and sharing your really vast experience and just space with us. It's so nice to see your face. <laughs> it's so nice to see your faces. I never see your faces. Oh, I'm too far. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Lazan. That was lovely. I'm I have a big old smile on my face after talking to Lisan. Yeah, it's always so lovely to see her and talk with her. Lisan's one of those people where the conversations are always deeper than most. They're rich. Lisan doesn't do surface level conversations. I've always appreciated that yeah. about her. And I really am walking away with a little bit of new eyes. I mean, I can see out my window all of these creatures, i.e. plants that I, I live with that I do not acknowledge or appreciate. And I would like to, that's a richer life for myself and for them. Yes. Yeah. That, I mean, there were definitely some light bulbs and some things clicking into place when she was talking about reciprocal relationship and what that really looks like. And even just some challenging that I had in my own mind of like, yeah, what is it about? Like, I think Ruby and I try to be pretty mindful of not taking from the earth, but we still do a lot of collecting from the ground. And it's like, why do we have to have it in our house? Right. Like, why can't that be an intentional experience that we go out just to have with the plants and not have it be about like, what can we bring into our space? What can you give us? And I don't think that that's 
exclusively how we interact with nature, but I do think that it's still an element that's there that I was noticing as she was talking. I was like, oh, there are so many other ways to get just as much of a meaningful experience, relationship, interaction, all those things with the plants that we encounter rather than, you know, collecting them and bringing them home. I don't know if it's a human thing or a Western culture thing to just collect things. Oh, I like that. I, I want to own it. Oh, right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, just appreciate it. Because also we live these very cluttered lives. Mm -hmm. That is a very modern problem. Yeah. Of just like I, I could use a lot less in my life. Yeah, let know? it exist for its own value. Yeah. Um, and rather than like doing something for you. Yeah, we don't need to possess the things that we love. Yeah. Also, I felt like our conversation with her could have been so much longer because she said at one point where I was like, wow, this is really a pretty powerful point yourself in the direction of your interest. We were talking yes. about how to bring more pleasure in or increase your receptivity to pleasure. And I was like, oh, that's so interesting because earlier in the conversation, she was describing the hearing the call from the plants. And she really lives that ethos of like, I'm not going to ignore this call. I'm actually going to substantively change my entire life. I'm going to leave the city that has all of my chosen family. I'm going to put my time and my dollar where, you know, like in the direction of where I have felt called. And I found yeah. that really inspiring. And I didn't want to interrupt what she was saying in that moment to call it out. But I, I found that that was a really powerful statement and one that she actually really lives it's a lot of what we've been talking about wanting to do for ourselves. Mm -hmm. It's so easy to get distracted and to believe in the things that the culture wants us to value. I mean, maybe this podcast actually is a little bit of that leap of faith of actually just doing something for its own value. You know, I don't, we didn't necessarily go into this as a money making endeavor. Right. This was very much about, wanting to be in these conversations, wanting to be in them together. So we're doing it, Robin. hundred <laughs> percent. If this never makes any money, that's okay with me. It has really changed my life for the better. Mm -hmm. I've really grown as a person. Every conversation has shifted my perspective and it's invaluable. I feel like I'm becoming a more me person because of it in a way I should be paying to do this podcast <laughs> you know because it's very therapeutic well you are you're giving the very valuable resource of your time and your energy that's right and so that is there is an exchange there right like you give a lot to it and it's giving you a lot back and I I feel the same way I have a pro tip of sorts for you Robin Oh, I love a pro tip. Lay it on me. It's not our sort of traditional sex pro tip, but I thought it would pair nicely with this episode. I have a class that I teach that actually I'm really hoping to teach sometime in the very near future called Pleasure is a Practice. Ooh. And in the class, we build pleasure gardens and so I wanted to share this pleasure garden exercise with you. 
Yes, please. Okay. So I created this exercise from um, the Dark Side of the Light Chasers book which is a shadow workbook and her method of um, meditation is to imagine that you have an elevator within you Mm -hmm. and that you step into your elevator and you go down seven floors and that your elevator opens into a world within yourself. And are the floors the chakras? Uh, well, y- yes. I mean, you can think of it like like that. Um, you can think of it as just going like deep inside. If you want to go down three floors, if that feels safer to you, that's totally fine. But this method of meditation, visual, like visualizing, really has been very effective for me. So, I've built it out as a pleasure garden exercise where you think about and create a calming, nourishing space within yourself that has sensory elements that you love to look at, smell, hear, and touch. And on the last episode, we were also talking about kind of starting to identify your pleasure igniters. So things that kind of bring an instant smile to your face, whether it's like a cool breeze, the sound of laughter. So like you can fill your garden with these things as well. What you do is you create a quiet, calm place. You take your elevator down and you imagine that it's opening up into a garden. Okay. Thing that's really cool about your personal pleasure garden is that you can put anything in there. It can have any temperature, any quality of light that you want it to have. All of your favorite beverages can be stocked there. (laughs) There can be massaging chairs or hammocks. It can have redwoods and succulent garden coexisting in the same space. Your sky could be purple and, you know, raindrops could contain glitter in them, right? Right. Like (laughs) this is a space that is without limits. But if you just start spending five minutes a day going down into this space and it can change and morph over time, but something that I've found that's really cool is that some of the elements of my pleasure garden are just always there. Like when my, the doors of my elevator open, there are always ferns. Mm. There's always a certain temperature and quality of light. That's like very cooling and soothing for me. I do have redwoods in my pleasure garden. Oh yeah. And then there's like a little seating area that I've set up that I just always go to. And it's this like instant, kind of calm is a good word, but it's just like contentment that I experience when I'm there. And as I've spent more time in the pleasure garden, it's like an easy place to sink into 
to access a little bit of joy. Yeah. You know, not all of us have beautiful medicinal gardens that are available to us to go and spend time in. So I am going to encourage you all to consider building a garden within yourself that you can go and visit whenever you need a little respite. You know, what I love about this is it's a continuation of this conversation that we've been having about pleasure coming from within to really spend time thinking about all the different things that bring you pleasure and to bring that feeling from those into your body and have that be a resource you can draw upon is really empowering. And then also because you've given consideration for the things that bring you pleasure, the lighting, the plants, it would inspire you to have ferns in your home. It would inspire you to have nicer lighting that you find soothing or whatever little spots of joy that you can create in your environment that it's sourced from your innermost pleasure center is really beautiful. I love that, Sarah. Thank you for sharing. I like to encourage folks to do things like imagine taking a sip of a beverage and like, what would that beverage be? And is it like, is it effervescent? Is it fizzy? How does that feel in your mouth? Mm -hmm. Is it warm and sweet? You know, all of these kinds of things, because then when you encounter those favorite beverages in your day-to-day life, or perhaps you take out a book or whatever the case may be, when you have those interactions with those pleasure igniters in your day-to-day, you have just a little bit more hyper-focus on them. Yeah, Your attention can experience them in a new way because you've taken some time to build that kind of appreciation and that deeper relationship with that. For so many of us, pleasure can feel elusive most days. Mm -hmm. And so I think the more that we can do to build muscle memory around experiencing pleasure in all of its forms uh, can be kind of a lifeline in these moments where life just gets kind of the best of us. And not having that hierarchy of pleasure. Yeah. You know, I feel like I'm really deconstructing the hierarchy with my sobriety right now because there Mm -hmm. are so many things where I'm like if I'm not stoned I'm not doing it or it's not going to be pleasurable (laughs) I'm not going to enjoy myself this is like necessary for that or you know in our society there's like basically a thing of like there are certain kinds of pleasure that are peak pleasure but there's all these little delicate moments of pleasure that we overlook that really enhance our lives. Absolutely. It's really like a continuation of the idea, like an evolution of mindfulness is now turning more into embodiment. Mm -hmm. And how can we really experience our bodies in in this world? I love it. Yay. Well, I love doing this with you. I love all of our listeners out there. Keep on listening, sending us messages, subscribe, make sure, yeah, make sure to subscribe, like, share the podcast with a friend. Yeah. Fuck yeah. Fuck yeah.
knocking them out of the park. Fuck Yeah podcast is produced and hosted by me, Sarah Tom Chesson, and Robin Jennings. Theme music is produced and performed by she, her, sir. You can find out more about what we're up to at fuckyeahpod.com or reach out directly at fyeahpod at gmail.com. If you're enjoying the pod, give us a hand. Rate, review, subscribe, wherever you listen, and make sure to share it with a few friends. Thanks so much for tuning in.